Well, we thank our uh, worship team, our tech team, who uh, serve every Sunday. We have different rotating teams, and uh, again, we're thankful for uh, the ministry that they have, and um, we don't notice normally unless they make a mistake, but we want you guys to know we appreciate you, and you don't make a mistake very often. The speaker makes mistakes more than, the, than they do. But. All right. I wanted to get at least one amen today, so that was good. <laughs> There you go. Our uh, lead pastor, Phil Severn, and his uh, family, they're on sabbatical. They just started this past week, so they'll be gone for about nine weeks. And so myself and the elder team are here and available for you if you need something, or uh, Bev can help you in the office. But um, we're going to start a new series here today. Um, but I, I spoke, uh, I did the first sermon in a series that we just wrapped up in Romans chapter 8. And uh, when I spoke, I showed you a picture a uh, famous person that I had met. I went to a concert and I got to meet Stephen Curtis Chapman. And uh, when I showed that picture, a few people were like, that picture looks a little off-center. Is there anybody else in the picture? So there was another famous person in the picture as well. And her name is Brenda Steiner. And so some of you are aware and some of you aren't. So I thought I'd take just a minute to let you guys know so that everybody knows. But that's Brenda Steiner who at the time was, uh, I was dating Brenda. I invited her on a 12-hour date. I said, my kids bought me tickets to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So we got to leave about 1 in the afternoon, and we'll get back uh, maybe 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And for some reason, she said yes. But uh, Brenda was introduced to me through Phil. Um, I had decided, some, if you don't know, uh, I lost my wife to breast cancer uh, three and a half years ago. And really had no desire to date up until about last October. And so I talked with Phil, and he knew that I had uh, started to date a little bit. Um, I was talking to him, and I said, so I'm going to try to find somebody unless you know of somebody. And Phil said, I think I do. And so that began uh, some conversations and eventually got uh, Brenda's phone number. But Brenda's husband passed away six years ago from cancer. Phil knew Brenda for about 15 years, knew her really well, knew me really well. And so uh, we began to date, and then not too long ago, we got engaged. So we're going to be uh, married on July 1st. Thank you. And neither of us really do Facebook, but our kids force us to put at least that information out. But uh, I appreciate you guys and uh, church family that's walked with me through my journey. And really, uh, many of you have been praying and thankful for your uh, love and support there. And so some of you had heard, some of you had questions. So I thought I would just take this opportunity to uh, fill you in and let you know that. So uh, when we went as a staff down to Florida for our conference, I was supposed to stay for another week. And instead, I came back on that Monday and surprised her, uh, proposed to her. And for some reason, she said yes. So, but um, she's got... Uh, uh, eight kids and uh, some grandkids and then my kids and grandkids. And so we're just going to do a family wedding. It'll be uh, right here at North Park on July 1st. But um, for those of you that really are interested in my boring life, we'll uh, put out a link for you if you'd like to watch it uh, uh, live stream. But it's just going to be a smaller family wedding. But uh, So Brenda has been here and she'll be around the next uh, couple of Sundays as we get closer to July 1st. All right, so here's a saying. You guys know where this saying is from? He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he receives favor from the Lord. Who knows what book of the Bible that's from? Proverbs. Yes, that's Proverbs 18, 20 
2. So welcome to the book of Proverbs. The next nine weeks, each week we're going to dedicate that week to one of the topics that you find in the book of Proverbs. So today I'm going to set the stage for that series, and we'll also focus a little bit on uh, mom since it's Mother's Day. Oh, really, the series is called Anatomy of Wisdom, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Living. And the book of Proverbs in our series is designed to help us develop a set. Uh, here's where you find the book of Proverbs, if you want to turn in your Bible or uh, on your device. It's in what we call poetry or wisdom literature, and you'll find Job, Psalms, Proverbs right in the middle, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, if you'd like to turn there. But Proverbs and our series is designed to help us develop a set of practical skills so that we can live well in God's world. And a proverb is just a short, easy-to-memorize saying of wisdom that can be applied to a myriad of everyday circumstances that we face. Right? So, for instance, we just read one. Proverbs 18.22 says, The man who finds a wife finds a treasure or finds a good thing, and he receives favor from the Lord. Um, another one, Proverbs 14.4, one of my favorite ones, says, Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Now, in our context, you might just say, if you don't have a dog, there's nothing to step in in your yard. <laughs> right? But the dog isn't really going to help you with your harvest. But the idea is that it'd be nice not to have to clean up the uh, after the ox that you have, right? But the ox is what's going to help you have your harvest in an agricultural society. No harvest, no food. So there's work that's required, but it's helpful because in the end it's going to be beneficial. Here's another one. Proverbs 17:28 says, I like this one too, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem pretty intelligent. So I'm just going to be quiet for the next five minutes, and you guys will think more of me. We all know that kind of person, right? We all feel that way sometimes. We're just like, if I just be quiet, they'll think I'm smarter than I am. There's a time not to talk, right? So it's an easy-to-memorize summary of some wisdom truth. That's what a proverb is. Because life can be complicated. There are definitely right and wrong. There's black and white, truth and untruth. But as we try to apply even those to all the myriad of circumstances that we face in a day, having to do with our thought life, having to do with our relationships, having to do with work and home and school, having to do with the government, all these different situations come up, and it's not so easy to apply those truths. And so what we need is wisdom and proverbs offer that offers that it's ancient wisdom but it's for modern living so we've got nine weeks i want to uh, give you an assignment if i can i know here at the church we have a bible reading program that we're going through or you might have your own does anybody know how many chapters there are in the book of proverbs 31 and most months have either 30 or 31 uh, when i was in college our basketball coach taught us to do this, and you may have done this before, but an easy way to read through the book of Proverbs is just to read the proverb that matches the date. So today is the 14th. You could read chapter 14. For those of you that just graduated college, tomorrow's the 15th. So which chapter would you read, Kaylee? The 15th chapter. Good job. All right. So I know in Bible reading programs, sometimes we get behind and then we feel bad about that. I'm just going to encourage you, don't do that. But if you'd like to accept this assignment, in the next nine weeks, you could read through the book of Proverbs twice. 
and just think, what day is it? On the 15th, I read chapter 15. If I miss a day, don't worry about it. On the 18th, I read the 18th chapter. And then, as we're going to talk about the way the book is put together, there are a lot of these short sayings. So you can read one chapter, and you'll read a lot of different things. So I want to encourage you to pick one. As you read through the chapter, pick one of those Proverbs that you can think about throughout the day. Just think about how it might apply. What is it that you need to do because of that? All right, so that would be your assignment should you choose to accept it. And then this cassette tape is going to blow up. For those of you that used to watch Mission Impossible. (laughs) All right. So this morning I want to have two conversations with you. The first one, I want to talk to you about reading the book of Proverbs. There are some things that will be helpful to you to know and understand as you begin to read the book of Proverbs and as we study the book of Proverbs. But then I do want to have a conversation with you about listening to a mother in the book of Proverbs. All right, so we'll do those two things. So the first one, let's talk about reading the book of Proverbs. As I've already mentioned, a proverb is a short, easy-to-memorize saying that offers wisdom designed to help us develop a set of practical skills for living in God's world. It's a condensed, it's condensed wisdom passed down from generation to generation. It is God's wisdom, but it's passed down from generation to generation as to here's how this wisdom applies. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel would have thought of one guy to be the main guy who represented God's wisdom. Anybody know who that might be? King Solomon. I just remind you, in 1 Kings chapter 4, Solomon became king and God came to him and said, I'll give you anything that you want. You name it, it's yours. And Solomon asked for wisdom. So just listen as I read 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 29. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Hezerite and the sons of Mahol, Heman, Calcol, Darda, those guys from Northia. Um, his fame spread throughout the surrounding nations, okay? And then verse 32, I put on the screen for you. He, Solomon, composed some 3,000 proverbs, and he wrote 1,005 songs. And he could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, the great cedar of Lebanon, the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals and birds and small creatures and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. All right, so we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 1, and I just want you to see here, verse 1, Proverbs chapter 1, so first verse in this book of wisdom says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Now, Solomon didn't write all of them. We're going to see that some different people contributed, but in the nation of Israel, when you thought about wisdom, you thought about Solomon. He is the representative of God's wisdom. And so he did write many of these, but not all of them. But Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. Now look at verse 2. Here's the purpose that Solomon says for this book of Proverbs. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple Knowledge and discernment to the young. So let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance 
And by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. So that's why Solomon gave us this book of Proverbs. That's why we want to look at it. Now, I've mentioned that what we hope to develop as we study the book of Proverbs is a, a set of practical skills. This word wisdom, a lot of times we say somebody's wise, we think knowledge. And sometimes the words are used interchangeably, but wisdom is different than knowledge. You could think that, think of it this way, wisdom is applied knowledge. It's knowing what to do. And it is a skill. The same word that's used for wisdom here is also used in Exodus chapter 3 as Moses described the tabernacle. And there were craftsmen there who were going to work with jewels and gold and silver and wood and build things. And the word that's used for what they're doing is the same word that's used for wisdom. It's a skill. So by practice, taking God's truths and applying them, we can develop wisdom. And this is kind of a deposit that has been passed on from generation to generation about this wisdom. Because God created the world to work a certain way. And it has been marred, and it doesn't work the way it's supposed to because of sin, but there still are principles that are built into the way the world should work. And when it works the way it's supposed to, it reveals God's wisdom. So we'll talk more about that. Uh, Just want to read verse 7 before we move on. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Now there it says true knowledge. So wisdom is the foundation. I mean, the fear of the Lord is, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So there you see knowledge and wisdom kind of used interchangeably. But the fear of the Lord is that foundation. And in two weeks, we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about that fear of the Lord being the foundation. But really, this is the moral mindset that we need. When we talk about being wise or having wisdom, it's just not anybody's wisdom. It's people passing on wisdom from generation to generation, but it's not just their ideas. This is God's wisdom. So when we talk about wisdom in the book of Proverbs, when it's personified, when a father is being used to talk to his son, all of that represents God's wisdom. And so our mindset from the beginning going into the book of Proverbs, if we're to be that wise person who can develop these practical skills, is that we must fear the Lord. We must have a healthy respect. Our goal is to live out his ways. And we'll talk more about that in two weeks. So when we talk about Proverbs, these short sayings, that's what we're most familiar with. And you're going to find those not in the whole book of Proverbs. That might surprise you. You're going to find those short sayings in chapters 10 through 29. In chapters 1 through 9, you're going to find an introduction. Now there's the introductory verses that we just read, but all of chapters 1 through 9 is an introduction to this book of wisdom. And it's actually composed of ten speeches of a dad to his son. So, children, it's biblical for your parents to give you speeches. All right? So no rolling of the eyes, no sighing. Just pay attention and listen to everywhere. But it's kind of a literary device. It's a father giving these speeches to his son. And he's imploring him to seek out this wisdom, very similar to what we've just sung. More than silver or gold, seek out this wisdom. Now, we uh, showed five different books there that we called poetry or wisdom literature. You guys understand, right, when you open up your Bible, uh, that's why I like to use that one uh, graph, graphic there. 
It really is a library of books. We talk about the Bible being one book from start to finish, but it really tells a story up through those history books chronologically. But then there's different kinds of literature. And so you can't read one book in the Bible the same way as you read another. And so when we read the Proverbs, we can't read it the same way that we do law, God speaking his word and truth, uh, the same way that we would read prophecy of God foretelling the future. We have to understand what wisdom literature is. So let me give you just a couple of things that I think will really make a difference when you read the book of Proverbs. And this is, can be why uh, there's a lot of resources online now, but also a good study Bible can help you with some of this in your introduction uh, to different books. All right, so... As we read it differently, I want to give you three things that really set apart the book of Proverbs. All right. The first one is that Proverbs deals in probabilities, probabilities. Consider uh, chapter 22 and verse four says this true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor and a long life. Now, who wouldn't sign up for that? Riches, honor and a long life. And I'll bet there's some of you in here who have tried to live with true humility and you've had a fear of the Lord and you're not rich and you haven't always been honored. And you may have a long life, but you might not. You know some people who lived that kind of life and they did not live a long life. And so you might say, well, what is this? This is God's word. It's a promise from God. It's a probability. What the wisdom literature does is it looks at the world and the way God designed it. And it says, in general, if you demonstrate true true humility and you fear the Lord, it's likely that you may be rich, that you may be honored, that you might live a long life. All right, let's look at another one. This one uh, probably very familiar with. It says, direct your children in the right path. And when they are older... They will not leave it. So a little different translation, but we know that one. Raise a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will come back to it, right? But we all know people who raise their kids the right way. And it may be be right now those kids haven't come back. Or we know some who never did come back. So is God's word not true? Again, it's wisdom literature. The general principle is if you raise your kids the right way and you teach them about the Lord, in general, even if they stray, they will come back. So we're talking probabilities. Secondly, then, it's not promises. These are not absolute guarantees the way that we would read some other verses where God promises that when we open his word and we share it, that it doesn't return void. It's not the kind of promise that we looked at in Romans chapter 8, where God said, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's not that kind of a verse. We're talking probabilities about how God has built the world and how it should work. And when you see it working that way, you know that that's God's wisdom. But it is not promises. So the third thing is, we could say we're talking general rules then, not exceptions. General rules, not exceptions. I shared with you a verse that I'm really excited about that says when you find a wife, that's a great treasure, a good thing. But there's some of you who are single. Maybe you were married and you're single now or you've been single and you're not interested in a wife or a husband. You enjoy being single. It wouldn't be a good thing for you. So we're talking general rules, not the exceptions. But there are plenty 
of exceptions, aren't there? There's plenty of times when we do the right thing, or we do it the right way, or we know how the world should work, and it just doesn't. It doesn't work out for us. It brings heartache and pain. There's frustration because we live in a sinful world. So it's probabilities, it's not promises, and it's general rules, not the exception. Now, how do we balance that out then? Remember, we looked, there were five books listed in that poetry list. What we need to do is take three of the wisdom books together. So we need to balance out the book of Proverbs with two other books, the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're not familiar with those books, I'll just tell you quickly, Ecclesiastes is written by the Song of Solomon, I believe, later in his life, after he's rebelled and kind of gone his own way. And he's looking at the world around and going, this is futile. This is emptiness if you don't know God. But as the world works, there's a ton of things that don't work well. There's a ton of things that are just futile. It's meaningless unless you know God. And then the book of Job, I think probably most people, even those who aren't Christians, know a little bit about the book of Job. Job was a guy who loved God. He was blessed with a big family, which was part of wealth back then and no doing of his own we read what's happening up in or behind the scenes and we have satan who is the accuser and he comes to god and he says your servant job loves you and honors you of course because you bless him and give him so many good things what if i was able to take some of that away and god said okay he gave him limits but he basically gave satan permission to take away many of the blessings. And Job lost family members, and he lost his wealth. And his wife struggled to grasp it to the point where she wanted to curse God and die and encourage him to do the same thing. All of this had nothing to do with Job. It had to do with the accuser coming before God. Now, at the end of that book, Job stays faithful, and God rewards him and gives him family back. But what he got in the end did not erase all of that heartache and pain that he went through. So we have Job and we have Ecclesiastes that balance out these proverbs. That yes, there is a general way that the world should work. And what we're trying to figure out is how do we live well in this good world that God has created. Even though it's been impacted by sin. So when we read the proverbs... They're probabilities. They're not promises. They are the general rule, not the exception. But that doesn't mean that the exception doesn't exist. It's very real. And we can see that if we'll also read Ecclesiastes and Job together with the Psalms. So part of what this reminds us is that life is too complex for pat answers and just simple formulas. And so I want to encourage you to be careful about that in your own life. I also want us to be careful about that as a church. When people come to our church, or when we have opportunity to talk to them about Jesus and this faith that we have, too often we just give them simplistic answers that kind of boil down to, love Jesus and your life will be okay. And that's just not true. Life is very complex. 
And to take God's word and to know how it applies to different situations and to difficulties and how it answers questions of evil and hardship and why things don't work the way they're supposed to. We just need to be really careful. And it's okay for us to say, I don't understand it all. I don't get it, but I know who God is and I trust him. So together we can continue to trust him while we try to figure out some of those things. But let's not be simplistic in the answers that we try to give. Let's acknowledge that the world has a general way that it's built. And if we do it God's way, it should work and it does most of the time. But there are still exceptions to that. And there's pain and suffering and hardship. And there's times when we do everything the right way and it still doesn't work out well. So in this conversation about reading Proverbs, I want to encourage you. One chapter a day. So what uh, chapter would you read on Tuesday? The 16th chapter, right? All right. So choose one chapter a day. Matches the date. And then choose one proverb to focus on or one verse. All right. There is a structure to it. What we're most familiar with are these short, easy to memorize sayings that are nuggets of wisdom. But there is a structure to it. There's an introduction. Chapters one through nine. There's. Ten different conversations. There's also four poems in there where wisdom is personified as a woman who is out calling in the streets for people to come and listen to her wisdom. And then chapters 10 through 29, there are these collection of sayings, short, memorable sayings. Now, uh, when a few of the elders got together to try to figure out how we could approach Proverbs, because there's lots of different ways we began to notice that there were different terms in there about the anatomy. And so we've called our series The Anatomy of Wisdom, and we're going to look at verses that talk about the feet. We're going to talk about the head, ears, the heart, the eyes, and the tongue, and how wisdom applies to those things. So that's what we're going to do over the next nine weeks. I'm going to do about half of them, and then Larry's going to do a couple And then Justin and Andy, our children's and student directors, will do one as well. Now, there's two chapters left. I know you guys are just hanging on the edge of your seats, but what about chapters 30 and 31? The book closes in a similar way to the way it starts. In chapter 30, there's a man named Agur, and he really demonstrates a model reader of wisdom. He's looking, he realizes that he needs wisdom. So he's the model reader that we would read Proverbs Desiring that wisdom. And then Proverbs chapter 31. So you might have seen Proverbs 31. It's Mother's Day. And so you thought you automatically knew what we're going to talk about. But you didn't. Because we're going to talk about Lemuel's mom. I personally have never heard a sermon on the first nine verses of chapter 31. But Lemuel is a king. And his mom gives him some wisdom. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. And then we have the second part of the chapter. Which is the bulk of it. Where there is... A wise woman who is a model of wise living. She exemplifies the kind of living that you would have as wisdom. So it starts in the beginning talking about lady wisdom as it's personified. And it ends with an actual woman living a wise life. All right, so that's the book of Proverbs. So that's how you read Proverbs. Now let's talk about a mother who is sharing wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And I just entitled this, Listen to Your Mother. How many of you kids out there are adults that have seen the movie Tangled? You guys have seen that? Kind of the modern version 
of a girl's got really long hair. She has to live in a tower. In there, there's a song. You guys know that song? You guys going to sing it for me? Rapunzel wants to get out of this tower, and her mom's trying to tell her, you can't. And she says, Shh, trust me, pet. Mother knows best. Mother knows best. Listen to your mother. It's a scary world out there. Mother knows best. One way or another, something will go wrong. I swear. Ruffians, thugs, poison ivy. I was waiting to see who was singing. Quicksand, cannibals, and snakes, the plague. Listen to your mother. Now, for the moms out there, I'm sure you have never said these kind of things, but I just looked up quick. What are some things that moms say? Don't kick the ball in the house. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. You slam that door one more time and I'm taking it off. We did that one time. I'm the mom. That's why. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I love this one. Can I please just go to the bathroom in peace and quiet? Mom's always looking for that moment of peace and quiet. So this is really cool. Verses 1 through 9, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 31, it says, These are the sayings of King Lemuel. Now, we're not really sure who King Lemuel is, but from some of the things that he says, he might have been a king uh, outside of Israel. But what he's sharing here is what his mom told him. So on Mother's Day, we consider what this mom thought was important to share with her son who was the king and what i like about this is it's not just for mothers and in the video we tried to acknowledge that there is lots of different kinds of mothers or people who fill a motherly role or lots of different emotions but as we go through this we'll see that any good mom would want to teach their son these principles but any adult who cares about the next generation will want to teach these things to kids as well all right so what we're going to do is look at a couple of things that his mom told him and it's two warnings and one instruction the first warning we see in verse three it says do not waste your strength on women now if we stop there it might be kind of funny and we could have some fun but that's not where it stops all right it's very serious it says do not waste your strength on women on those who ruin kings and so this mom says listen you're the king you got to take that seriously. And so don't ruin your life. And I think the word strength there, uh, other translations talk about vigor. And women who ruin kings, the idea is don't ruin your throne. Don't ruin your kingship by pursuing sexual gratification and sexual relationships with women. Sensual lust. And immediately we can think of two very famous kings who that was true. David, the greatest king of Israel, looks out one day when everybody else has gone to war and he sees a lady bathing on a rooftop. And so he looks at Bathsheba and he decides, I want her. So he sends somebody to go for her and they get involved in a sexual relationship. And then Bathsheba gets pregnant. And instead of feeling remorse and coming clean, David comes up with a plot to make her husband think, that he's the father. He invites him home and wants him to stay with his wife. And he won't do it because he's an honorable man. And he says, my men are out fighting. I can't just come home and stay with my wife. And so David, rather than coming clean, comes up with another plan. And he decides he's going to have Uriah killed. So now we have the king of Israel, an adulterous relationship, a pregnancy. And now he's plotting to kill her husband. 
And he comes up with a plan for that to happen in battle. All of it started because of his sensual lust and gratification. And this mom is telling her son, listen, you're the king. And that matters. You have influence. What you do impacts other people. So her warning is, guard yourself against sensual lust and sexual gratification. Solomon, who's writing this, the wisest man who ever lived, he himself fell in this area as he took in wives and concubines, a lot of them for political alliances. But he began to worship their gods, and he's described as a man who has a divided heart. And God tells him, because your heart is divided, and it all started with relationships with women, these women and him pursuing gratification and not trusting God caused the kingdom to be torn from him. And so both of these kings, very well-known, famous kings in the nation of Israel, it was women and their pursuit of sexual relationships and gratification that caused their ruin and their downfall. A king has absolute power and freedom. It's hard for us to grasp. We watch a royal wedding or we just saw King Charles installed over in England. And it's more like a figurehead. But a king has absolute power and freedom. And that's very dangerous. So this mom simply says to her son, listen, you're the king. You've got to guard yourself. Guard that kingship because you have influence and responsibility. Don't forfeit what God has given you. Because of sexual temptation. That's the first warning. Then this mom says in verse 4, It's not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol. And so just like she says, you've got to really guard yourself against sexual temptation. She also says you need to be careful about the influence that alcohol can have in your life. It's a quote in, the, uh, in one of the commentaries. It says this, although the ancient world did not have did not value abstinence from either wine or sex, both are axiomatically risky. Wisdom must be exercised in governing both the sensual pleasures. Leaders and rulers must not become alcoholics or sex addicts, which would lead to their own demise and that of the people that they govern. And you and I can relate to that because we see politicians go through this all of the time. Where they get involved in behaviors that are risky and addictive, and they forfeit their responsibility to govern. And they're supposed to be governing with us in mind. They're supposed to govern with the benefit of the people that they represent and serve. And the same thing was true of kings. And so it wasn't a common thing that people wouldn't drink or wouldn't be involved in sexual relationships. And the best that I can see in the Bible There's nothing there that says that we should abstain from both of those things completely. But there are many warnings about the dangers of both sexual sin and the influence of alcohol in our lives. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 says this, Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. And I just say this, as our society Uh, Even Grand Rapids, Beer City, USA now. And so while the Bible doesn't prohibit drinking alcohol completely, there are many warnings about the dangers of it, just as it was dangerous for this king. 
In Proverbs uh, chapter 23, just read a couple verses for you. Who has anguish and who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises and who has bloodshot eyes? It's the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup and how smoothly it goes down. For in the end it bites like a poisonous snake, stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you'll say crazy things. You'll stagger like a sailor tossed at the sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When I wake up, so I can look for another drink. And so I just say that even as we might enjoy some freedom, where the Bible doesn't prohibit drinking alcohol completely, we also have to take very seriously the warnings about how it can impact us in our life. And certainly for a king who is supposed to be responsible for people and to rule in their benefit, This mom says to her son, listen, don't be that guy who's drinking that alcohol and craving it and becomes unable to think clearly. And you might say something or make a law or rule that is damaging to the people you're supposed to be serving. Paul would say in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. My wife, my first wife, her dad, an alcoholic. Ruined their family's life. And you know people the same way. Or maybe you're here and you struggle with it now. And if you could, you would stop. Because as we become addicted to alcohol or we allow it to begin to control our life, we do and say things that we know that are wrong. It's interesting for elders in First Timothy chapter 3, one of the qualifications to serve as an elder and to serve the church is that he must not be a heavy drinker. Or violent. And so what is mom getting at here when she speaks to her son and says, be careful about becoming addicted to alcohol? Why would that be a qualification for an elder? Why would Paul warn every believer? Be controlled by the spirit, not alcohol. Because when you're controlled by alcohol, when you're drunk, that will ruin your life. Well, look at verse 5. She says, for if they drink, kings, if kings are drinking and they're drunk... They may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. The goal for the king is to have the kind of influence where he stands up for those who are oppressed. The reason that you and I need to be careful about alcohol is because when we are drunk, we who represent Jesus Christ to the world, we who serve in places of influence, we who are fathers and grandparents and aunts and uncles and adults to that next generation, What might we say or do when we can't control ourselves? And how might that influence the very people that we are supposed to help and be an example for? That's mom's concern. And so she says, alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. Now, the commentators are kind of divided here. Some think that he's just being sarcastic. Like, that's what people do. Others think that he's kind of saying... There is a place for something that anesthetizes pain and suffering when you're ill or you're dying or when life isn't very good. So either way, the point is 
The king is not to be someone who is addicted to alcohol. What he's doing is too important. His life is to be about other people. And I think that's what you see with these two things together. Whether it's the women or the wine, mom is saying, life isn't about you. Live a life that's about something more. It's not about your pleasure and what you can get out of it. God has put you in a place where you can serve and make a difference. And then she gives them the instruction about how he can do that. She's given them two warnings. And then in verse 8, she says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Now, we might think, I'd love to be the king. I'd love to make the rules. I'd like to be able to tell people what to do. And that's what makes terrible kings. A good king uses his power and his authority to serve the people that he rules. And mom wants her son to be a good king. And she says, here's what you need to do. Rather than pursuing those pleasures, speak up for those who don't have a voice. Give justice to those who, in their circumstances, can't do that for themselves. Speak up for the poor, the helpless, and see that they get justice. And that's good advice, isn't it, moms? Isn't that what our goal is, is to raise kids who see that life is about more than themselves? They seek to meet the needs of other people. They want to speak up for those who can't be heard. They want to help get justice for those who can't get it for themselves. And that's the message of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus came for the poor, the helpless, those that couldn't get justice for themselves. As they tried to trick Jesus all the time, the religious people, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He would always just boil it down to love God. And then there's a second one that if you're going to do the first one, you have to do the second one too. And that's love other people. Put other people's needs first. And so as we think about mothers, as we endeavor to help the next generation have something worth living for, and in a country where it's so easy to get wrapped up in entertainment and material things and pleasure, everything is offered here. That next generation needs to hear there's something greater to live for than yourselves. And God is going to give each of you as young people and teenagers and young adults a place in life. He's given you gifts and abilities. He's going to give you passions. He's going to give you opportunities. And we would plead with you, don't throw that away. Whether it's sexual pleasure or alcohol or any other thing that the world would offer. And this mom is saying, there's more to life than that. And Jesus is saying, come to me and I'll give you real life. And that will free you up not to have to pursue those things, but to serve me. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, he put it this way. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. So Jesus is our model. Jesus shows us what a real life should look like. And when Jesus comes into our life, he frees us up then, not to have to pursue all these selfish things, but to say, I find joy in giving my life up for others. And that's exactly what he did for us as he left heaven's 
throne and he came down here and lived as a human being to enter into our suffering and our misery because the world doesn't work the way it's supposed to. We don't work the way we're supposed to as we pursue our own selfish desires. And he died on a cross to take the punishment for our sin. And then he rose again. And he says, come to me and I'll give you real life and I'll give your life meaning and purpose. And you'll find that in giving your life away for other people. So that's a message, moms and other adults, that we can pursue and live and teach. And then if you're a child here or a young adult, I just want to encourage you, listen to your mother or listen to other adults. I shared a little bit about my story, and I'm so thankful for God providing someone else for me to spend my life with. Part of what drove me to that, and this isn't true for everybody, but this was true for me, I began to realize that I was a better man when I was married. For me to have to love somebody and to be unselfish helped me be a better Christian. And so that's not the only reason you should get married, but that's a big part of why I wanted to find somebody again. I'll be a better man when I have to give myself up to serve someone else. But you don't have to be married to do that. You can do that in any station of life. Just let God fill your heart with so much love that you want to serve other people. And don't forfeit that influence that God may give you in a young person's life, in your neighbor's life, in any person's life by simply pursuing self-gratification. So I just want to close here in Proverbs chapter 23. This is what we can do for our moms on Mother's Day. Listen to your father who gave you life and... Don't despise your mother when she is old. And old is like anybody over 30. (laughs) Get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom and discipline and good judgment. The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. Amen, moms? What a pleasure to have children who are wise. So give your father and mother joy, kids. May she who gave you birth be happy. And as a parent, I know my greatest joy is when my kids take the wisdom and these lessons that we're offering and they begin to learn that lesson, that life isn't about us. It's about knowing Jesus and giving our life for other people. So I I pray that that will be true for all of us, that that's the kind of life that we'll value most. All right, let's pray. God, we are just so humbled that you would love us this way, that you would give us life in Christ. God, I know... In my own heart, I'm so selfish. I want to pursue my way, things that I think will make me happy. But every time I turn away from those and I give my life to something else, to serve other people, to serve you, in the end I see that there's great joy in it. Even if it's difficult, even if other people don't appreciate that. The relationship with you where I know that you're pleased with it. But so often I do get to see the impact that it makes in other people's life, and that's so encouraging. Thank you for our moms and people who fill that kind of role in our lives. I pray that you'd help them to teach these lessons, not to be discouraged, to be faithful in honoring you by teaching these lessons. And I pray that you'd help kids and all of us who have moms to make them happy, not just on Mother's Day but every day, by listening to that wisdom and endeavoring to put it into practice. Again, thank you for Jesus who makes it all possible. Thank you for the study we're going to do in Proverbs. I pray that over the next 
nine weeks, we'll become more wise people, developing these set of skills that will help us live in your world in a wise and good way. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.